Welcome to the Geek-Centric Podcast, and welcome to our spoiler-free review for the Netflix series, Blue Eye Samurai. Let this ember's light brighten a path to the men I seek. Guide my steps until I find them, and kill them. Welcome to the Geek-Centric Podcast. My name is Nate, and this is our spoiler-free review for the Netflix series Blue Eye Samurai. Special thanks, as always, to the folks at Netflix Canada for letting us watch this series early for review. If you're joining us for the first time, we are Geek-Centric, a podcast focusing on the world of movies, TV shows, games, uh, and all things Geek-Centric. Joining me for today's review, we have my two loyal apprentices who I know will always have my back even if I'm attacked by a big Irish man, Justin and Darcy. How's it going? <laughs> Doing well. Good. I, I feel like I, you would be the big Irish guy. Yeah, I was going to say. action there. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping, you know, maybe I could have been more of a Ringo-style character. Oh, I, I, could, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Ringo is definitely a better fit for you than, than a giant Irish man. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, this series uh, centers around 17th century uh, Edo period Japan. I wanted to ask you guys before we dive in, of of sort of, I, we always talk about sort of how we our love of Star Wars and how much Star Wars is inspired by uh, yes a lot of westerns but also a lot of Japanese film. Are there any specific Japanese movies uh, or samurai movies that uh, kind of stick out to you or that you kind of uh, you know sort of love to watch if you're ever feeling in the mood for a samurai story? Well, when I was in university. Um... I studied a lot of different genre-style films, and uh, one of the films that definitely stood out to me back then uh, was Akira Kurosawa's uh, Seven Samurais. Mm -hmm. uh, and we studied it for its uh, sensibility of being obviously a samurai film, but being inspired by the films of Western cinema. Um, you know, Kurosawa displayed a, a bold and dynamic style in his, his film style, and uh, he has been... Uh, long long time ha has always been praised for mm -hmm. his his stories especially with the seven samurai so um if i'm thinking authentic true and a lot of what people think of in terms of samurai movies i think of akira kurosawa yeah yeah mm -hmm. what about yourself i mean anything again like the kurosawa films are what i'm most familiar with but more recently i watched also on netflix they have a really cool uh like uh docu-series about you know the dynasties of japan and the different periods and the wars that happened between it and it is a really fascinating just how much happened on such a small island when you could you think about it, the scale of things that we're you know one of the largest countries in the world canada and then japan is a fraction of our size and there's so much more history there it's a really cool watch again can't remember the name of that one either but it's a netflix docu-series it's really worth checking out dope yeah. yeah i think i think for like for myself i'm honestly i'm not the most I'm familiar with samurai uh, stories are the ones that are from Star Wars inspired by, I think back to like the, you know, another amazing piece of animation with the Ronin uh, in, uh, in, in Star Wars uh, vision season one. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, and that's kind of my touchstone. So getting into this series was, was 
really, really fantastic because I think there's a lot that can be uh, learned from it. And it, it honestly has made me want to kind of check out uh, some of the Kurosawa, you know, classic films and Seven Samurai and things like that. So, um, yeah, man, very cool. Uh, let's before we go any further, though, um, I do want to just remind our lovely listeners that we here at Geekcentric support SAG-AFTRA as they strike to get the contract they deserve. Actors, just like writers, uh, deserve a fair contract that reflect today's growing industry changes. And we're super stoked that the WGA has gotten the contract that they bargained for. And we really hope that SAG-AFTRA will reach an agreement with the studios as soon as possible. If you want to support the actors of the things that we love, uh, you can do so by checking out the link in our description. Uh, with that said, let's get to the synopsis for this series created by Amber Noizumi and Michael Green, uh, who also serve as producers and writers. Uh, this provocative and visually stunning cinematic series immerses the viewer in a world of vivid adult animation with a live-action edge. Set in Edo period Japan, Blue Eye Samurai follows Mizu, a mixed race master of the sword who lives a life in disguise seeking the deliverance of revenge. Uh, with a phenomenal voice cast including Maya Erskine, George Takei, uh, Masioka, Kerry Hiroyuki, Tagawa, Brenda Song, Darren Barnett, Randall Park, and Kenneth Branagh, uh, with a supporting cast including Stephanie Hsu, uh, Ming Na Wen, Harry Shum Jr., uh, and Mark DeCascos. Uh, all eight episodes of Blue Eye Samurai will be made available on uh, Netflix Friday, November 3rd. And if you're listening to this on the day we've released it, you can actually watch the first episode on Netflix's YouTube page. They were nice enough to throw that up there uh, today as of this recording. So definitely check out the first episode. Listen to this and then check out the first episode. Uh, guys, we're going to kind of talk about uh, a few of the aspects of the show as we kind of go along here. Feel free to talk about whatever you liked or sort of maybe didn't work for you. Um, but I kind of want to start off by talking a little bit about the story, a little bit about the look and feel. Um, you know, this this is a classic samurai story, um, but it's also a story of revenge and there's so much uh, heart and there's so much pain in it. Uh, and there's so much that's put into every frame of this show. It, it tells the story, as I, I mentioned earlier, of Mizu. And she's such an interesting protagonist for this type of story because she's someone that, you know, grows up as an outsider in 17th century Japan. She's, she's not only a woman who in that time, you know, women have very little freedom, very little options. Um, but she's also kind of, I think she's considered like a monster as like a half-breed, having to hide herself from the people in her life and, and, it just follows this like this drive, this really painful story of her trying to find the men who could possibly be her father. Uh, and I just thought that was so interesting to sort of see a story like this that's not necessarily told by someone who is Japanese. They are they are a, a, as I said, a half breed. Thought it was just fantastic. Yeah, from what I was reading, it seems like a lot of the story concepts sort of came out of Amber and Michael's relationship because they're married. Yes. And uh, they have a daughter that is of, of a mixed background. And Amber had a lot of different uh, outlooks growing up. Is she Japanese? Is she, is she American? Uh, you know, understanding her own identity. And so much of that is is fused into this story. And I think that's sort of the modern approach, the modern touch, the touch that really kind of speaks to today's audience, even though the the backdrop and the setting is historical Japan in 17th century, you know, the, there's contemporary elements at play that really do pull you in as an audience member. And mm -hmm. I think the show is, is absolutely fearless in, in pushing 
boundaries. Uh, you know, the story of a mixed race swordsman uh, who's actually a woman and pretending to be a man as, as to hide herself from those who might be interested in taking advantage of her or, or harming her. They go bold, man. It, it's, it's, it's unapologetically explicit uh, when it comes to depicting the, the overly oh, yeah. brutal nature of revenge with bloody kills and that are not only visceral, but are also integral to the larger story. Um, mm -hmm. The series isn't shy about exploring uh, sexual identity in sensual moments using nudity, um, which really does highlight the adult nature of this this show. Uh, this is not something your kids can watch or you should watch with your children. No, no um, definitely not. <laughs> um, so, but it's evident that when they use it in such scenes, it's, it's so carefully crafted to serve the narrative rather than feeling overly gratuitous or just for shock value. Yeah, it's and not very, sex for sex sake. It's not exactly. blood for blood's sake. Yeah. It feels it feels really organic to uh, the story that they're telling. So I really did appreciate that. Um, I think in some cases we've seen how sex and violence can often be just an exploit, um, and they just go bold with it for the sake of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, this this is this is carefully crafted. Mm -hmm. I I really love the story of the show. Again, it, you you said it was you know a classic samurai story. I think it was more even Ronin because samurai without a master that is very much who Mizu is. Right. Just on this path of revenge, she she is such a you know enthralling character. And then that, again, the the supporting cast they introduced to it, or where where they kind of reinvent this the story of revenge because he. As much as Mizu wants to do it alone, she is stuck with these people that constantly keep popping up or following her. And just the way they add to the story and you get to see another lens of what they're going through or how they've been oppressed or, or something like that was really unique. And just even towards the end, the way that they incorporate an event that does have happened in, in Japan's history yeah. and, and they almost gave a reason to it. In a new sense, I always love that idea of you know an uh, alternate history where it yeah. could have happened in this this They're fits touching in that history. Yeah, touching it so close and like yeah. playing with it to tell a really engaging story. I think is they they did it really well. And again, the 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 fight choreography is so amazing. The the dynamic camera movements through some of these fight scenes are just like it's you forget you're watching animation at a point because it feels so real and it feels like you're part of the scene and stuff like that. I, I love it. Yeah, the I think the kind of going off what you were mentioning with like all the different uh, characters that are in Mizu's mm -hmm. life throughout this story. It's like it's I love when a show has that level of maturity to give us character arcs from both sides so that you can have, you know, protagonists kind of on both sides. There's not really a good or a bad character. There's kind of these I mean, there's definitely bad characters in this show, but but there's sure, there's also yeah. very gray characters. And I love that, you know, it's it's the same thing. It's like when Game of Thrones introduced me to the concept of a character that I could start off the show hating and by the end of even one season, uh, you know, being so in love with uh, this show manages to do that with some just really rich storylines and rich characters. And I just mm -hmm. it's fantastic. And interconnectivity too. Like I yes. just love that. Like we get to see aspects of people reconnect uh, over periods of time, and how they connect is is really really interesting. Uh, Game of Thrones is definitely a perfect way to describe the vibe of this show in, in a lot of ways. Samurai Game of Thrones, mm -hmm, uh, yeah. you know, probably a little less political, but at the same time, there might be a little bit there. But I think in terms of just how bold it goes um and and how as we were mentioning the the violence the sex and the the, the those storylines affect the larger story and what they're trying to tell and all the characters that surround our our 
our hero or our antagonist or, or our protagonist, however you want to look at Mizu, <laughs> um, they influence her. They, in some ways, make her better. They change her perspective of, of how she's looking at life. Um, and I think that that's, that's really great. Like, there's a satisfying growth to this character throughout mm-hmm. these eight episodes that feels very earned and you, you've, you can literally see it unfold episode to episode as, as we move through. Yeah, you know Michael Green, uh, who worked on this with with um, uh, with his wife Amber Noizumi. Um, he he also worked on Logan uh, and Blade Runner twenty forty nine, uh, and a, you can definitely get the Logan vibes that, uh, in terms of sort of that driving story. It it it, it is a movie or a show <laughs> feels like a movie uh, that's paced really well. Uh, and just going back to the the fight choreography, Sunny Sun uh, did a lot of the choreography for this, and it's just it is incredibly fresh uh and in a year where we've had some really phenomenal like we just come out came off of our review for invincible uh season two which also has some amazing uh you know different stylized superhero fight choreography um and 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 you know i said that was really phenomenal as well it's just so cool that we're getting so much uh, amazing specifically fight choreography within animation this year and her, her mizu's attacks are relentless like if there is a badass samurai m- moment uh, that you are looking for, <laughs> you'll probably find it in this, this show, show at some yeah. point. A hundred percent. Yeah, the the live action inspired choreography is easily the best I've seen. And yeah, you're right. We we did talk about Invincible, and we talked about how great the action choreography was there, but not with the sense of focus and attention to detail that you can see in every frame of the fight sequences. Yeah. Uh, and, and like you said, they brought in Sunny uh, Sun to do the live action choreography uh, previs that the animation was then built off of. And each of these fight scenes are, are a revelation. They're, they feel smooth and dynamic as, as live action sequences, but they take full advantage of animation's limitless possibilities. Yeah. The way the cameras are placed and moved, the certain sort of kills, I don't think you would have executed those as well in live action and can only be achieved in animation. And I think the result is choreography that pushes the boundaries of what's possible and really creating action sequences that are just visually stunning. These, there's, there's some of the single best animated fight choreography I have ever seen in this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a fantastic featurette on on Netflix's YouTube page that you can check out. I do recommend finishing the show, like finish all eight episodes, or at least maybe get halfway before getting into it. There are a few spoilers, but um, I think just to that point, Justin, with with the fact that the show is both sort of two D and three D, you kind of get this moving uh painting look at times that feels like it's like you're literally looking at a moving 17th century Japanese painting uh and because they're able to blend with both 2D and 3D the in that featurette they talk about the fact that they're able to do different things that they wouldn't even be able to do if it was just traditional 2D animation so for the fight choreography the reason it's so fluid and moves so perfectly and the camera is able to spin around and move to the right spots is based off of previs right right and if they had like so if there's like a rock or a tree that they would need to take out or move they they have the ability to do that i think that's such a phenomenal aspect to it and it's such a cool benefit that you get 
in doing this with animation. Like the the you know you get this sort of the two D background like vivid colorful world, but then you also get the phenomenal three D lighting and and just some of the uh, you know abilities that they have to again move that set around. It's just it's it's executed so well, and I'm so happy that they went with this. It reminded me a lot of another great animated Netflix show, Arcane, yes, uh, which felt very similar in in sort of the style. Yeah, um, and it's just. More, please. More, more. Netflix, if you're listening, just find all these studios. Like, this was Blue Spirit Studio who did this, uh, and they did such a phenomenal, excellent job. Yeah, the animation in this is nothing short of a visual masterpiece. Uh, I think, it, in a lot of ways, the way they leverage, like you were saying, the 2D animation style to give hard outlines and, and define things while giving painterly brushstrokes to, to other elements and creating a sense of depth with contrast, it's all done thoughtfully and then also done with the inspiration of samurai movies mm -hmm. like some of these moments feel like they're straight out of samurai movies and the animation in this series demonstrates the incredible potential of the medium as a, a mechanism of storytelling uh, i think you know it showcases what can be achieved when you just step outside of the live action realm and i think every, like you were saying every frame feels like a work of art it's it's lush feels like cinematic paintings that leave an everlasting impression. And I think the camera work is some of the best I've seen in animation, featuring long, sweeping, immersive shots that will take your breath away and leave a long-lasting image burned into your mind. It's, it's some of the best animated work from this year, for sure. Yeah, there's a shot specifically where Mizu is, it's in the trailer, but is fighting just another opponent. Uh, and there's a just a crash of like a pink wave behind them. And it's just one of the most stunning moments. Uh, it's so cool. And, and to your point, Darcy, you had mentioned earlier, like, uh, the kind of the idea of sort of taking uh, real world history and, and, and mixing it up a little bit to, to work within this story. But also just the fact that like, they brought in a ton of different researchers and a ton of different professionals within the field of sort of understanding Edo period Japan. And there's such an authenticity in, in every cell of this mm -hmm. show. And um, like the clothes are absolutely gorgeous. And then you bring in the details of the buildings and the architecture. And I think when a show can entertain me, but also be so authentic that I'm learning things at the same time is honestly, it sounds really corny, but it's super exciting. And it's really, it's really, it's, it's fun. And, and like, even just things like, you know, I say fun, it's fun to learn and expand <laughs> your knowledge. A lot of the stuff they're covering is not a fun topic necessarily, but like even just learning like little things of like, I've seen Japanese paintings before with women with blackened teeth. And I never really understood why. And this series explores that. It talks about uh, Ohaguru uh, and and sort of the, that practice in it. And it shows you sort of where it comes from and 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 why it has to happen. Uh, and I just think that's that's it's fascinating. And I I really really appreciate when a when a show can can again entertain me, but also teach me at the same time, and and also get me interested to look at you know, watch more Japanese uh, cinema and, and, and maybe look into these stories and even real world history uh, even more. Um, yeah, just going off of what you were talking about and Amber Nozumi and Michael Green as being the you know showrunners and creators of, of the show, but it, it does seem like Jing Wu, uh, supervising yes. director and producer, served uh, a huge part in helping to visually materialize a lot of the elements uh, in this show. And, and to your point, it, it really does come down to 
the materials that we see in the costumes, the the authenticity of, of the, the way the buildings are. But what I loved is that she recorded herself walking in kimonos and, and different different ways, running, sitting, um, so that the animators had something to feed off of in terms of, of uh, inspiration to, mm -hmm. again, hit home that accuracy, looking at foods and delicacies and what was consumed back in those days. It's it's all, again, it's it's all in respect of history. And, I, and to your point, I think what this show does so well is it honors that, it respects that, while also bringing in new elements to help enhance the story and make it that much more relatable, while also ingraining a, a new contemporary approach to the samurai story yeah and i, I also want to just mention uh jane Wu. uh you know apologies that I, I didn't actually i don't know why i didn't have her up there uh, at the beginning but she's also a badass like martial artist yeah like she actually she was teaching them with the samurai them. swords yeah so how to stand and freaking and how to cool. do anything yeah and i think again it's just another way live action can properly inform animation to yeah. then really show a true hybrid right where it's not just you know this is live action and this is animation no the two are influenced by each mm -hmm. other and i think that's what's so beautiful about the show is it is talking about heavy themes like division exclusion and the opportunity with diversity and being open and in a lot of ways, this movie serves as a beautiful, harmonious representation of, of filmmaking styles from animation to live action. It's a beautiful subtext to this whole series. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, you, you can't you can't tear your eyes away from the screen when it's playing like you, you want to keep watching more. And I found myself going back and rewatching scenes like fight scenes and then just like some of these ceremony scenes and how the detail they go into it, all the trimmings and like, again, the tea sets, the food, everything is so much detail packed into it that, like you said, it feels like you're learning something while you know, experiencing this brand new story, which is really exciting. Yeah, if Netflix and, and uh, Blue Spirit, if you're listening to this, um, send us wallpapers. We want some wallpapers for our computers. I think, I think uh, they'll, I be, want they'll be out there available. painting. Yeah. I want a woodblock painting. I want all of it. Um, but moving to things that we maybe hear more than see, um, I want to talk about some of the performances in this show, um, starting obviously with, with Maya Erskine, who uh, plays Mizu, who is literally, uh, you know, also born for this role she's she's mixed race she's japanese american and she does such a fantastic job like you know again we're coming off of uh our invincible review and i'm gonna <laughs> reference that again because the voice acting there is so phenomenal and and, and yet again uh we get such a fantastic cast here and with maya you can throughout the show you can feel her anger you can feel her pain in in her line delivery there's there's countless moments where like the, there's moments where for for Mizu things get so difficult. I have a hard time understanding how she's going to continue on, uh, and it just shows her resilience, which is so inspiring. But at the same time, she's also scary, um, which I think is a really fantastic element. We've got a character who is yes the hero, but at a lot of times you can see how people would see her as the villain, and it reminded me a little bit of like Batman uh, in that way, in the sense of like. You know, enemies who see Batman at first, they're like, oh, it's just a guy in a bat suit. Like with her, they they just see this skinny, you know, man with a sword. But then as soon as she strikes at them and as soon as she starts like moving, they fear her so much and they have every right to be to be fearful of her because she's incredible. Yeah, I think, you know, the way they've designed the character of of Mizu is definitely to kind of incite fear. But I, I also get from from Maya's voice performance you know a sense of like this is what i believe in but yeah. she's not perfect 
Mm. I just love that she was able to give us a range here where she mm -hmm. can sound confident, she can sound scared, and she can also sound happy. And each of them sounds so different from one another that when she sounds happy, given how much she's like so serious. Oh, it catches you off guard. It catches you off guard. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, whoa. Like, yeah, like hearing her this, laugh for the first time, it's like, what? But it also just goes to help tell the story of the character. At, at one point, yeah. she did have a life where she could be this way mm -hmm. given where she could be where she is now and this sort of anger fueled revenge serious no friends you know no happiness just satisfaction right and Oof. i think that that's clear in her voice performance that there's a hard contrast between those two personalities and i think that that can be a hard thing to always convey in your voice but she nails it mm -hmm. she does a great job of bringing life to this character who who at the beginning of the story believes herself to be the demon that everyone makes her out to be but again through the introduction of the rest of the cast or the interactions they have we see her grow and you can throughout her performance by the end of it she is still angry and stuff like that but there there's a change to it and she has that confidence of knowing what she's doing it is more than just revenge now she is doing the right thing type thing and it's it's such a great job of of bringing that character to life. So yeah, she did an amazing job. And another character I want to shout out, uh, speaking of maybe uh, the more happy side of this cast, uh, is Masioka, uh, who was just so lovely to hear in this show as Ringo. Um, he's he's delightful. I think, you know, I loved him in Heroes. Uh, that was the last time I've seen him in something. I'm sure he's done other work. But he's he's such a light in 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 this show, which needs it. Like most of the time, he's like the, the gentle show, touch. He's a, but he's yeah. the gentle. He's the gentle touch, and and maybe even call him the gentle giant if you want to a certain sure. degree. But he, it's like he the very much, yeah, he's very much <laughs> exactly. He very much softens the seriousness of of certain situations, and that's mm -hmm. welcomed. Yeah, mm -hmm. but I mean, I I think the the thing that I love most about him though is like he does instantly accept Mizu, right? And he not only does he instantly accept her he's inspired by her right where everyone else that looks at her is is disgusted and 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 i think that just goes such a long way to show you and tell you everything you need to know about ringo uh the moment he meets mizu so mm -hmm. good mm -hmm. so good. masioka did a great job of, of again bringing this character to life because he again he brings that levity you need in such a dark times but he also is almost like conscious to this this demon like character yes. that is Mizu, and so yes. how resistance they resistant they are at first, and then their growth throughout the series is is beautiful. So again, a lot of it comes down to the relationship between the two characters and how they play off each other, which is great. And if we're going to the complete opposite side of things, I kind of want to shout out Kenneth Branagh as Abijah Fowler is incredible. Like oh. he is the ultimate villain i feel like he brings you want to hate this guy as soon as you meet him just because of the way he carries himself and how cocky and confident he is and it's just it's so good i i, I kudos to him i Such can't hate a guy scary. anymore i love it he's so scary and i think the other thing too that i love is he, he's he is like the man behind the man you know what i mean like he's the he's the he's one of the upper tier and i think the the other thing that i kind of like is they they sort of give almost do like a little bit of a Thanos thing, right? Where it's they don't really reveal him right away, so you kind of have to wait to see who this guy is. And uh, and when you do, I mean, again, shout out to the character design because like freaky looking dude. <laughs> well, yeah, he's just he's just big and towering, and long red hair, long red hair, and Ganondorf. <laughs> <laughs> he seems like a a, a a a giant of his own, and yeah. his personality is so regal yet unhinged yet he seems like he's totally in control um i think kenneth is seriously flexing some voice acting techniques here 
Um, and it really does stand out as, as being like, he's having fun doing it. He's having fun playing this character and, and really leaning into the dark side. And you're not giving him right away. You work towards him. He's in the shadows. He's in the background. There's other obstacles. And as you start to unravel the bigger story, his motives and his intentions become very clear and he becomes more and more unhinged. I think that that's a great way to hook people in and get people to want to continue and be invested in this story and honestly like it was easy after that first episode to just be like okay i'm in right yeah. especially for how much they gave you and how much they didn't give you and we've talked about this in the past where there's a fine balance between giving an audience a little bit of that mystery while keeping a little bit of it hidden away that you can keep audiences invested and this show and, does and this <laughs> show does man this show yeah. nails it um i want to shout out um uh another very recognizable voice of george takei uh instantly recognizable when you hear him he's yeah. he's sort of playing like this like supportive uncle type it reminded me a lot of uncle iroh from avatar the last airbender in a lot of ways mm -hmm. uh and he just he gives like takei george takei gives every character that he plays like such gravitas and like wisdom mm -hmm. and you can you can tell literally just by hearing him that Seki has lived just an incredible but also difficult life to get to where he's gotten and so he's so protective over princess uh, Akemi who's played by the fantastic Brenda Song and even like for her she's she's you know we talked about um the aspect of like pain through performance she absolutely delivers that in such phenomenal ways that at mm -hmm. times are purposefully subtle because of the fact that she has to hide it in in the sort of within the crowds that she's with but she's such a another fantastic sort of um opposite to a character like mizu where they're you know they're, they live such different lives but they struggle with a lot of the same things i i loved how they created that parallel between those two characters and they showed the difference in lifestyle but yet they're so much similar that they have to deal with in terms of representation and identity and what makes a man and a woman separate, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's really it's it's really interesting. Um, but talking about parallel characters, uh, talking about the Swords Father, Kari Hiroyuki as the Swords Father is fantastic. Yeah. Um, I again, you talk about that sense of wisdom and that that guidance. It's it's interesting how both characters have their mentor, their wisdom that that helps guide them. I loved his portrayal uh, as the Swords Father. I think he 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 was very poignant with his performance. I love the sense of of how some of these characters spoke in um, sort of poetic riddles that gave you insight. Um, I know one that was really bad was in reference to a pig. Uh, and then- yeah. <laughs> and, and, A couple and, times, and there's a kind a of a running times. joke. Well, there was a bit of a running joke, yeah. but you know, or the idea of, of being, you know, how, uh, the idea of how being cold and rigid in relation to one's demeanor. I, I, again, things that felt so inherently uh, Japanese samurai where there's a sense of um, analogy that's applied to understanding oneself beautiful and it's so not beautiful. overplayed and, either like it's no, it, no there's there's uh, they had the opportunity to accidentally sort of overdo a lot of that but it's it's again yeah. it's a really lovely balance with the dialogue but to mm -hmm. your point like both seki and the swords father are those characters that provide that that intellectual wisdom but on opposite sides yeah. on opposite ends right like that. it's just it's really really great so i i love the the way they were able to create p parallels between these characters
Mm-hmm. Uh, there, it's all it's awesome how they're again. This is going back to that Game of Thrones comment before how they they're introducing this wide cast of characters that you you care about even if they are on the wrong side mm-hmm. because they're t- doing such a good job of, of again keeping that mystery hidden and unpeeling those layers and stuff like that. And I gotta say, it was after seeing and you know falling in love with Randall Park all over for for Agent Jimmy Wu. Yeah, seeing him in this villain role was, was incredible. He got to flex his 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 villain muscles and it was great i loved his character yeah oh yeah. man he's i mean jimmy woo in the mcu timmy in blockbuster mm-hmm. uh jim from the office like i've loved <laughs> him in so many roles he's so uh it's funny if you actually look on the wikipedia for this show somebody edited uh heiji shindo played by john krasinski um <laughs> but but uh but no he's yeah he's so conniving and scheming and he's so creepy in this but at the same time like you were saying, Darcy, and like we're, we're like we've been saying this whole time, like there's moments where you sort of understand what he's trying to accomplish mm-hmm. and he's not fully in the wrong at no, times. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, yeah. again, one of the best aspects about this show is that like, I mean, I think the only character that I would personally say is fully in the wrong would be uh, Abijah Fowler. But other than that, um, pretty much almost all the other characters are. They're so uh, multidimensional, and it's just, mm-hmm. yes, I love it. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes down to acting and not voice acting. I think the idea is understanding how your voice can be a conduit for uh, uh, sort of character development and, and acting a, a voice emotionally that can connect with the viewers. And I think that that can be said about this entire voice cast mm-hmm. is that they 100%. all are acting so friggin well um and really at the end of the day like we we called out randall park i really don't think he's doing anything to enhance his voice or change it and make it more of a characteristic right i think you know kenneth brogna is obviously he's definitely leaning into a more irish accent but randall park is like you said playing an evil randall park character yeah it was right and it takes i will say it takes a bit of getting used to but it's it does it's great it does yeah it's uh, yeah the the same goes the same goes with george takei Right. Yeah. Thing goes with Carrie. Brenda's yeah. song as well to bringing in so much of her own sense of angsty performance. Right. Like mm-hmm. so, she was able to really play Akimi so well in that you know she was defiant and she wanted to break boundaries. And of course, Maya, like she just she knew how to bring in the emotion in there. So this entire cast, they they brought their A game as actors for this for this show. So good, and we don't get enough of her, uh, but. Uh, Ming-Na Wen is I was gonna say that. Oh, but she's still good when you get her, man. Yeah. Like, she's perfect. Yeah. She's perfect. Yeah. So good. So good. Yeah. Uh, Cast was incredible. There's not, not a bad one yeah. in it. <laughs> I also have to shout out the music in this show. Yes. I think the score uh, and the needle drops. There's a couple of them. I think um, Amy uh, Doherty, who's also Irish, um, but probably much nicer than Fowler. Uh, she gives such an incredible sort of um, theme work throughout the show. And there's, there's all, for all the different characters. And, and I think um, like with Mizu, like when you, when she's on screen, the music like replicates that sense of drive with every single moment. Mm-hmm. And like the production overall, there's such a sense of uh, both authenticity, but also a blend of Western style strings, right? Modern, like that sort of modern style. And then that 17th century uh, Japanese sound with like, you know, koto or, or shamisen um, strings or bamboo flutes and woodblock percussion. Like it's all 
in there and it flows together perfectly. But then we get these needle drops that take us to like, and Darcy, I know you would appreciate that I'm waiting moment, for right? It. I'm waiting for it. I'll, oh yeah. I'm going to hand it to you then the metal <laughs> moment. Let's I'm go. Coming, yeah. Netflix apparently loves Metallica because first we have master of puppets with stranger things. And now we're getting uh, for whom the bell tolls so and, uh, in this good. incredible like sequence. Like I've rewatched that four times because it's just so good. And the rendition of it too, in a Japanese cover of, Metallica. Oh, yeah. Shout incredible. out to Emmy Meyer, uh, who, who did that track. Um, but I think one that I really gravitated towards for, for my likes of music was the, the Japanese rockabilly um, by the it's a yep. band called the Black Cats. Uh, yep. Genie, genie, genie. I, I, should, I, I was asking Siri a lot, like, what's give, tell me what song this was in, in this show. And um, I think that moment in particular will stand out as probably one of the bloodiest uh, in these eight episodes. Um, but cut to this rockabilly sound it's just it's it's such a wonderful contrast of a moment to, to have that song in there and it's just oh the music i've, I've already downloaded the whole soundtrack <laughs> well the, the one that was that felt very poignant and purposeful was the kill bill theme song. yeah oh yeah um i think this was their way of acknowledging kill bill as uh, inspiration for this story but beyond that quentin tarantino seems to be like a inspiration i think not just narratively also tonally like the the whole idea of tarantino style the the level of modern meets historically authentic or if you're quentin tarantino kind of having a freedom but i think they stayed more in the realm of being historically accurate while adding real deep modern touches i feel like that's very tarantino-esque to a certain degree we, we've seen it with with django unchained right like which i, I feel like when people watch this, they're going to say, oh, this has mad Kill Bill vibes. But this show feels like a Django Unchained show mm -hmm. uh, in, in a lot of ways done from a samurai perspective versus a Western perspective. So there's a lot of parallels there. So I think that it, when they do that needle drop, it's very purposeful uh, to say thanks, Tarantino, because I think a lot of what they envisioned and what they were able to imagine for this story comes from from his approach as a filmmaker. So I thought it was a nice touch. And, and in regards to like the popular music drops, you know, there's not an abundant amount of them. But at the end of the day, when it hits, it matters. It hits. And yeah, the, the Japanese rockabilly style uh, song was fire. It so helped good. break up that episode for from sequence to sequence. And uh, it just was a nice contrast to, you know, the other two uh, tracks that you got. And yeah, the music is just, it's another layer of that authenticity and that, mm -hmm. that, that sort of that cultural touch that keeps this, this series so grounded and confident in what it's trying to achieve. Yeah. There's, there's a, uh, there's a moment. Um, I think it, the, the track is called, um, something it's like the ninth floor or, or approaching the ninth floor or something but it's just before the uh for from whom the bell tolls and there's just this like sort of like deep guttural sound that happens and you when you see the character on screen um it just it it hits it just it's so good great great work yeah. with the music um all right well listen i i think We've all gushed quite a bit. Um, mm -hmm. Before we get to our final thoughts, is there anything that didn't work for you guys? Because I, I don't have anything, but I just want to double check. All right. I no. think we can see where this is going. So let's get to our, <laughs> our final thoughts and rating for this show, uh, which we'll be rating on a scale of one to five bloody blue blades. Darcy, I'll get you to kick us off. 
or slices Again, you, off. <laughs> <laughs> no, no slicing off. I want to keep all my digits and arms keep intact. Thumbs, very yeah. Much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Nick said, you, you kind of know where this is going. We gushed about how much we loved the animation, the cast, the story, everything about this was done so well and came together for such a masterpiece in, in storytelling. Just the way that everything has a purpose and, and nothing seems out of place. There's no moments where I'm just like, Oh, that shouldn't be there or anything like that. Where early on, I may have felt like that, but by the end of the series, I went back and watched those first few episodes and loved them even more. A second watch through because the, the detail and everything there is so meant it's meant to be there for a reason. So yeah, this was an easy five out of five bl uh, bloody blue blades from this guy. So yeah, <laughs> all my thumbs are up. For there you go. And not chopped off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Justin, how about yourself? Yeah, I think uh, a word that I like that you use there, Darcy, is is purposeful. I think that after watching these eight episodes, everything about this series is purposeful. Um, this Blue-Eyed Samurai is a stunning revelation in the world of animated series. It, it seamlessly is blending historical accuracy with bold and modern sensibilities. And I think the show manages to captivate its audience by weaving a tale of revenge that is both timeless and incredibly relevant to the contemporary audiences of today. Uh, this show was an absolute surprise and delight and an animated series that deserves a place among the best of this year. Wow. It marries historical accuracy with contemporary storytelling, combines explicit elements with purpose, and showcases animation at its finest. This is a show that is going to leave audiences eagerly anticipating more, proving that animation can be a powerful medium for storytelling and pushing the boundaries of what is achieved achieved in the realm of televised entertainment. So yeah, this is an easy, easy five out of five bloody blue blades. It's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. I didn't even mention the cast and the music because we already <laughs> talked about it, but it all just comes together. This is perfect. This is a perfect animated series. And it's definitely for adults. Do not watch this with children. But if oh, you're an do. adult that likes See what happens. Who knows? Yes. Yeah. Who knows? They got to learn. They have a long conversation about a lot of things. They got to learn. They got to learn. Um, this was just like you're saying, Justin, like such a, a, a wonderful, like unexpected surprise. I didn't know about this series. We didn't talk about this series until we were asked if we wanted to cover it. And uh, literally until the trailer came out. And, it, and that's such a lovely. I asked. No, but I'm, oh, I'm just saying like it's such a lovely thing to sort of get this trailer upon, yeah. and sort of stumble upon it i guess justin you would did you see this as part of like the animation package that netflix did i and, saw a teaser for it and right. then when they when they pushed out the trailer yeah and i knew that netflix was on it i i immediately sent it to the group because i knew it would be of some sort of interest and then inevitably i just you know i reached out and asked if we could cover it so well i'm happy said, that you didn't uh, yeah. tell us about it in advance because again getting the trailer and seeing this and then getting to cover this so quickly is just one of those things where it's like normally we know about this stuff so far in advance so it was it was lovely um i think it like you're saying justin like it, it just continues the messaging that animation isn't just for kids it's not a genre uh it's a storytelling vehicle that just it allows for just different shots and different characters and stories that can only be done in animation and i think the way the aesthetics service the story in so many ways to not only entertain but also educate uh allowing you to learn about this era and the customs of you know the japanese people and the, and that the edo period is it's just nothing short of brilliant i think the again the voice cast is stellar and there's gorgeous and badass badass animated moments uh and fights uh and such a wicked soundtrack that all blend together together to give a, a fresh take 
on a classic type of story. So I really, really, really enjoyed my time with the show. I can't recommend it enough. It's been such a, an incredible year for animation where almost every studio that I can think of has contributed something uh, outstanding. And, and, and this is yet another example of why animation should be looked at as so much more than where it started. Uh, I'm giving Blue Eye Samurai a very solid five out of five bloody blue blades. <laughs> that was my Wolverine. That was my Logan voice coming out for something coming out. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> uh, but that is it for this spoiler-free review of Blue Eye Samurai. We hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, make sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts. If you haven't already, and if you want to write into the show with your thoughts on this series or any of the shows or movies we cover, Justin, can you show the audience those beautiful blue eyes of yours and let them know <laughs> how you can reach us? Well, they can reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Or they can reach out to us on Twitter or the app formerly known as Twitter at geekcentricyt or on Instagram and threads at wearegeekcentric. My eyes aren't blue, by the way. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, it worked, okay? I got blue eyes. It's fine. Keep in mind, we have a ton of other episodes covering the recent releases, uh, like our spoiler-free reviews for Invincible Season 2 Part 1, David Fincher's The Killer, uh, Goosebumps Episodes 1 to 5, Loki Season 2 Episodes 1 and 2, The Creator, and Expendables 4. Uh, We also have our Discord opened up, where we'd love to talk to you about this show and many of the other shows we're covering on the podcast, or even shows we're not talking about. Um, We just We'd love to hear from you. You can join using the link in our description. Um, And we have a ton of interviews out now, like our most recent interview uh, with some of the creative team behind Loki. Uh, Justin had the pleasure of chatting with episode two director Dan DeLeo, uh, costume director, costume designer Christine Wada. Uh, and production designer and director of episode three, Kazra Farahani, uh, with all three of them shedding light on the collaborative journey uh, of production from season one to season two and how they found their roles uh, within that production. So be sure to check out those interviews and all of our interviews, uh, either here on your podcast service of choice or over on YouTube at youtube.com slash geekcentric. Speaking of Loki, if you are enjoying the second season of Loki like we are. Um, We have our Watch Club recap uh, for episodes one to four out now with special guest Mike Smith from the Dumpster Talk podcast uh, where we got in deep with some pretty excellent, if I do say so myself, theories uh, on what's going to happen next in the series. Darcy's smiling. I don't know if he agrees with how excellent the theories are. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, I like them. Yeah. I like them. Okay, yeah. good. You, you might feel different if you've watched the new mid-season trailer. Oh, though. don't. That's, I haven't watched the trailer. Don't watch the trailer. Okay. <laughs> the episode's out as of today if, or tonight if you're listening to this when this podcast goes out but uh, or when this review goes out. Um, I am staying away from that trailer. Can't wait to see it fresh. Um, but listen, if you haven't already, please give us a five-star review. We would love to become some Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and so be sure to, to leave a five-star review if you could. Uh, and be sure to subscribe uh, so you can keep up with all the great things we got coming at you as we enter the chilly geek winter uh it is cold it already started snowing which is crazy it's warming um, back up again though it can't make up its mind out there i work outside i just want to be cold to be warm dang it pick one uh but darcy justin thank you so much for joining me for this blue and bloody review and as we say love you laters peace <laughs>